0: Hello everyone and welcome back again to our Sabbath School From Home podcast. As always, we're glad that you've decided to to join in. Uh, I'm talking to you from a, a sunny Launceston, Tasmania, but this morning I was at Pine Valley Hut, which was a very blustrious and snowy uh, Pine Valley Hut, and I had to walk out through two and a bit inches of snow and, and it was very cold, very, very cold this time at the time of our recording 12 hours ago. Uh, and uh, extra glad to be here enjoying the warmth not only of my what seems to be phenomenally luxurious house um, after four days away camping, but the warmth of the fellowship here with three of my friends.
1: Well, and I'm Ken. Uh, Cam, I'm just wondering whether Blustrious is both blustery and illustrious. Is that the, the combination that you are so. after there? <laughs> Absolutely. Perhaps <laughs> blustery and glorious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Which is certainly what it sounds like, and I wish I was there. I'm Luke.
3: And I'm Lachlan uh, from Cooramonga, New South Wales at the moment. It's been a hot day here, and I can't think of anything more attractive than the sound of a couple of inches of
0: snow right now. <laughs> yeah, um. well, it was, was very nice.
1: Before before we get started on our um, on our uh, lesson, I, I had a comment from my son Ryan, uh, who was responding actually to Clancy's um, discomfort about the disconnect between uh, was it a podcaster or you know an Instagram person uh, what they were saying in their life um, and. Um, uh, Ryan's doing a PhD in digital culture at Sydney University, and he was telling me there is a, in fact, a uh, a whole area of scholarship around authenticity in digital media, uh, and the the phrase that scholars would use is inauthentic, mm. um, uh, yeah. to, and particularly it arises where there is not so much a mismatch. Uh, between, you know, the message and the history and actions of a person, but an unacknowledged mismatch. Mm, mm. Uh, So the the lack of acknowledgement of the fact that you're speaking from a particular standpoint and addressing uh, uh, an issue is is what creates that sense of inauthenticity. I, I thought it perhaps was just plain hypocrisy, but there you are. Maybe that's me thinking a little too simplistically. Right,
3: that's an interesting
1: comment.
0: Are we are we at all susceptible, Ken, to to analogous modes of of inauthenticity in the church? Um, I'm trying to think what I mean. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a there's an Adrian Plass book, "Looking Good, Being Bad," which is <laughs> which is a manual, which is a manual written tongue in cheek, but it's a manual on how to succeed as a churchman or a churchwoman without any real conviction or, you know, commitment to the Christian faith. And um, it's full of helpful tips like uh, you never quit a job, you always step. You either step down from the job or you step up to a different job or you step aside from the job. (laughs) Um, Christians are always stepping. If you want to succeed as a churchman, you have to step a lot. Um, What are some of the other tips? Anyway, he's got, he's got a list, but one of the one of the things that comes out from the book is that it's really difficult to identify a particular behaviour as being authentic or not.
1: Mm. Look, one of the things that it's something you raise that question, and immediately it comes to mind uh, some of our evangelistic tools, and I use the word tools a little. Uh, Disparagingly, I think, um, because uh, we we seem to have agendas when we do things. We we have a health Mm -hmm. van at a show, um, and the ostensible objective of the health van is to give people some feedback on their uh, on their health, but there's always a um, uh, a a, a hidden agenda uh, that what we really want to do is give them the brochure about the next. Daniel and Revelation mm. seminar that's coming up, um, or, or we talk about, and, and it's a phrase that annoys me no end. We talk about friendship evangelism. Well, ha, ha, how about just friendship? <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so it, it, look, I think that there are some of those things, and and why does it have to be evangelism at all? Indeed, I wonder, and maybe I'm missing. The message here a little. I, I think if one went and looked at the life of Jesus, what he was doing was bringing and introducing the kingdom here and now. He wasn't trying to persuade people to believe in a particular mm. way. He was trying to introduce them to living in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, that might involve some belief, but it but it seemed to me that what he was doing was living his life, yeah. um, an amazing life it was, and maybe we should be looking at doing a bit of that. So anyway, that, that so Cameron, you asked the question, and there's my somewhat annoyed answer.
0: <laughs> One of the things that we never acknowledge very clearly in our evangelistic efforts, Ken, is the fact that we get significant dopamine kick. We we feel good if people join the church. Not just because they're saved, but because it affirms that what we believe is yeah. okay. Mm. Mm. And and like we say, oh yeah, that's good. Another one's joined our church. That's we must be in the right. That's good. Oh, what a relief. We have got something we can report back mm. when people ask about how evangelism's gone. We can we can say that we're, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of um of the Royal Society for putting things on top of other things, where <laughs> where they have a meeting, the annual meeting. And um, at which the various chapters of the organisation report how many things they've put on top of other things, and that the largeness of the number is seen to is seen to affirm the existence yeah. of this group. It's, it must be it must be an important group because our our chapter from the Midlands has put no fewer than than six hundred and twenty three things on top of other things. Um, so. <laughs> But there's a bit of oh, that in I evangelism do. too. We're just having a, a big number to say, it makes us feel mm. good. Mm. It scratches, mm. It scratches an itch. Whether, whether they're saved or not, it scratches an itch.
1: <laughs>
2: my emotions are wired <laughs> quite differently from most peoples. and you know, I, we oh. can say to my shame, and I often have felt shame about it as someone who grew up in the Christian church, but I feel precisely zero emotion positive or negative about evangelism it does nothing to me it, it just it's just it's not there when it is attempted on me i feel nothing and when i have attempted it on others i also feel nothing it may as well not exist yeah. i'm much more concerned about caring for people and meeting their needs and helping them and that is not just a theological or philosophical position that's how my brain works Mm. That stuff to me feels and seems
3: more meaningful. Well, I think that this connects to that idea of authenticity because I do genuinely believe there are some people who at uh, who for whom conventional evangelism is an absolutely authentic expression of their desire to help the world around them. But I think oh, that indeed. the way, and
2: I want to make want to make clear, I'm not criticizing. Yeah.
3: No, I, that I, it's just not me. No, and this is what I was getting to say. Because as a church community, because of our history and the traditions that we come out from, um, that is often seen as the most noble expression of Christian interaction with the world. I I get the feeling that there's a lot of people for whom it is not particularly authentic, who are who are pressured or feel self um, motivated or, or for whatever reason to to pretend. That that is their their uh, their goal and interest, and therein lies a certain level of inauthenticity, which I can't help but feel hinders the efforts of people trying to do those kinds of evangelist activities.
0: I feel I, I belong to that group, Locke, who who, um, you know, it's it's a bit like uh, um, a bit like Adrian Plass again, um, being sort of pressured into doing street evangelism. <laughs> um uh, and he's he's absolutely terrified and the street evangelism goes appallingly and uh, no one stops to talk to them it doesn't help that the person assigned to him is Leonard Thin and Leonard Thin help, tries to help him and he's wearing a suit that's 100 years old that belonged to his grandfather who used to do street evangelism <laughs> and is carrying a huge leather-bound bible and after after a miserable episode of a few hours they they call it quits and head into the local pub for some fish and chips where they fall into conversation with one of the regulars and um, a really good conversation. And um, it ends up with this guy saying he'd like to come to their church. <laughs> so the evangelism doesn't work at all, but the, the meal at the pub was great. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a couple of dimensions to this that are a bit worrying, though, like teaching. There's a, there's a problem in the maths teaching profession generally, although the teachers I work with are very competent, and most of the teachers I've ever seen are very competent. Uh, maths tends to be taught in a fairly procedural way. This is the procedure you follow to get the answer. And there, is, there are some people for whom that doesn't put them off. Mm. Now, my PhD supervisor was not one of them. He was writing to art and drama at school, hated maths. Just following these procedures for no apparent purpose at all, and where's where's the cr- creative interest in it all, and whatever you know, he's now a professor at um, uh, UTS, I right. think. A professor um, in mathematics. And in maths, yeah. <laughs> in mathematics, because he's discovered what maths is actually like. Now, um, the the maths teachers who teach a very procedural way are not being inauthentic. They are they are, I think, in many ways teaching this in a way that they found beneficial mm. because people who don't enjoy maths don't tend to become maths teachers. And so the system becomes self-reinforcing because the, of course the teachers are going to teach that way uh, because mm. it worked. It genuinely worked for them. There's no, there's no pretense or inauthenticity about it, but you end up then with a perpetuating culture. Yeah. And if we only evangelize a certain way, that evangelism is genuinely authentic to, to subsets of our church And it genuinely reaches subsets of the community. But if only that subset of the community is welcome in our church or is attracted by our Mm. message, then our church becomes more and more that way. And it becomes more and more obvious to the people within the church who were reached by traditional modes of evangelism that traditional modes of evangelism are the ones that work. So um, you've got to find it's a difficult cycle to break. The biggest problem with every PE department in any school is it's full of people who like sport. Mm. And and they're talking to lots of students who don't. The maths departments are full of people who like maths. Science departments are full of the people who like science. And you don't ever hear the dissident yeah. voice. There's there's no one present who was saying, hang on, I went through school. And for me and my friends, this style or this message or this approach or this philosophy yeah. didn't work. And I work. hated
3: maths so much that I decided to become a maths teacher. <laughs> I mean that's the, that's yeah, the point just, that you're making. That doesn't happen. there's yeah. a there's a selection Often. bias, a confirmation bias. The system is populated yeah. by people for whom it worked.
0: And you can you can see how this would play out if you imagine teachers from departments swapping departments. <laughs> so if if a, if a PE to, a teacher decided to run the maths exam, it would it would run more like the swimming carnival. The students would be nearly naked. They'd be doing it under time constraints. <laughs> there'd be huge amounts of cheering. There'd be they'd be people pressured to take the exam because there's an empty seat. But I've but I've never studied calculus. It doesn't matter. Participation's the thing. And they'd be pushed in. Everyone would cheer. And then at the end of the exam, at the end of the exam, um, everyone's score would be printed up on mm. a board at the front for everyone to see. And, and points would be awarded to houses. And the top but of three course, would, would get medals. It's not like maths... Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, no. No. But they'd that, that also that would also be the one you know for the for the lap where you've got to swim across the pool. So that's for the people with just you know just ordinary yeah. numbers, multiplication, addition, subtraction. Yeah. 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 yeah no. Yeah. No algebra or letters put into it. We've ju- we just got yeah. the. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and but of course you can you can construe something equally ridiculous if you imagine putting a maths teacher in the art classroom. Um, you can imagine one saying, look, what have, you, what have you done for your final submission? This is nothing like what we did in, in <laughs> class. You know, in class, we painted a picture. We painted the same picture eight times. I taught you how to paint that picture. And then you've, you've gone and done something <laughs> different. Uh, my, so,
1: on, that, on that topic, my, um, my daughter uh, bought uh, Wendy and I uh, a birthday present. Our birthdays are 12 days apart. Uh, so she bought us a sip and paint um, uh, birthday present so you go along to a um, uh, to a it's an old church hall actually and it's set up with a whole lot of easels and um, uh, and and the the art teacher gets up the front and says okay well you know put your line across here and now paint this bit and um, and now you can do the mountains like this or you could do it this way or you could do it that way and um, I did a particularly dark and brooding sky on mine, but uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, but there were, and, and it makes the variety of it, but there, there were uh, lots of things very much the same. Uh, so it was a bit like a maths class. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you then work at a school and you realise how much diversity there are of different interests and how much, in point of fact, Departments would benefit. Every maths department should have one mm. teacher in it who hated maths at school. Mm. And every every PE department needs a teacher in there who was terrified of the swimming mm. carnival.
2: What you're um, talking about there, Cam, is called cross-pollination, where you get different disciplines interacting with each other to learn from their differences from and from, from unique perspectives.
0: We also have those differences present within the church.
2: Well, and I think if, if I could grab this fun conversation and drive it firmly in a very depressing direction, what we are discussing is my very deep and long-standing fear about where religion is heading. Because that self-reinforcing cycle, which has been going on for some time now, I see is creating churches that are only for a certain type of person, who only thinks and acts in a certain way, um, and, and people like me get pushed out because I am not extroverted. I am not an evangelist. I don't think faith actually means iron cast certainty of doctrine. Um, I don't reject science in any way. Uh, I don't reject wider society or the interactions with it. Um, I believe in. I believe very strongly in compromise, and discussion, and meeting people in the middle. I am a radical centrist, yeah. and and I am an. As much as I hate to say it, I am an intellectual. I believe in the power of, of, thought and ideas and and research and considered. Discussion and open minded consideration of well crafted arguments by people who have spent a lot of time and effort thinking about these important questions. That is more important to me in religion than just about anything else. And I see a church being created that has no time or space or interest in that at all. Hmm. And I wonder where that puts me and the other small group of people like me.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're. you're- Common has many, many dimensions, Luke, but one really stands out because probably many people feel this. The, the, just the simple fact of being introverted. A, a slightly tricky thing to define in solid terms, but people tend to, tend to know that feeling, right? And when was the last time you heard a person leading the songs at church stand up and say, I'm choosing to stand for this one, but for all of you who would rather sit quietly and listen, please sit quietly and listen.
2: You're right, it is small cultural things like that 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 add up and re- and self-reinforce. You never you don't get a lot of introverts going yeah. into the worship team well, in church.
3: Uh, I mean a classic example is this and and this highlights how difficult it is to get exactly right and I think your analogy came to school with with PE teachers and and math teachers yeah. and so on is a good one because it's not it's not as if the PE teachers are wrong and the math teachers are right. Right and wrong isn't really what's coming in here. It's difference and and diversity. But you know, I know a lot of people feel churches to be cold and unwelcoming. So uh, a local church in my area uh, decided that they could fix this by getting some of the teens involved, waving sort of wobble board signs as people are driving in towards the church, which is great. Welcome to church, you know, smiling face. And, and you can imagine the sort of person who winds down their window and high fives out the, you know, I feel pumped, you know, I've arrived at church. But then you might also stop to consider the people who choose not to come to church anymore because they can't stand being confronted face to face like that in such an aggressive way. By a person standing on the side, by complete strangers pretending to love them and be happy about them, but they've never never taken a moment to stop and talk and you know, like what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to highlight here is so well intentioned yeah so good for a lot of people and yet and yet not not helpful for others and and that I, I guess that was what yeah. I grabbed um, Luke when you when you just just that keyword introvert it's I don't think I am one most of the time, uh, but I know people who are.
0: Yeah, I, I'm definitely a bit more introverted. There's a couple of thoughts to share. Uh, one is that introverts have a superpower, and that is I think that introverts understand extroverts in a way that extroverts do <laughs> we, not understand introverts. We weren't introverts. given
2: a choice. We live... Much like left-handed people in a right-handed world, and I'm not bitter about this because I'm also left-handed, um, you don't have a choice but to understand the majority.
3: mm
0: the other is on the subject of worship leaders. Remember in Adrian Place's diary, George Farmer is the highly enthusiastic worship <laughs> leader um, who who berates the congregation for not responding loud enough um, to the call and response in the service until they're, they're suitably terrified and, and 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 get enthusiastically involved, enthusiastically involved. And George Farmer wants to write a book entitled. Uh, spontaneous worship, and how to make sure it happens the same every week.
3: <laughs> yes. And,
0: and the other is um, that there are ways of doing church that are that are kinder to introverts. If, if you go to a high church service, then um, communal readings, mm. where the whole congregation reads, is a way to belong to the community in a non-confrontational way. And moments of silence. Mm. Mm. Or,
3: or indeed, vast expanses of silence. Uh, I think it's the Quakers, isn't it? It is,
2: and uh, I, I do come from a Quaker tradition. <laughs> um, my fa- my family were Quakers before they were Adventists. At least a couple of branches. Yes, and 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 ritual as well. I mean, C.S. Lewis has very good things to say about the role of ritual in in um, religious worship um, and things. Uh, point of view, I think, that he came to after quite a long time uh, he didn't arrive at it immediately he was fairly dismissive of worship services for a large part of his christianity but sort of came to an understanding of their value later on um i can't remember the exact quote but he definitely he definitely wrote something about how r- ritual as, as as a sort of it it, it creates it it helps to convey and express the importance of what we're all doing here in in a way that yeah that not taking the time and effort to sort of do this do this thing which in and of itself has no inherent purpose but to do this thing and do it well and do it seriously um and do it together is meaningful and that's something that doesn't require um, a particular personality type. But ri- ritual is also something which is very sort of out of fashion as as well.
1: Mm. And yet, I wonder whether or not, like, what is ritual? And are there things that don't fit well for me, but they are, in fact, a ritual that works well for somebody else? Some of the sorts of things we've mm. spoken about. Um, yeah. uh, so... It, uh, mm. I'm not expressing it very well I'll leave it at that <laughs>
0: i'm gonna I'm gonna pull us back to evangelism um only because the lesson this week talks about Jonah and what an evangelist uh, and what a what a straightforward simple message and what spectacular results you think of all the other poor prophet prophet upon prophet upon prophet get sent to to Israel and they they employ the most extravagant um you know Object lessons and and pedagogical technique. So I mean, the lesson describes Jonah as the lonely prophet, um, or no, the restless restless prophet. I don't agree. I think I think Ezekiel being told to lie on his side and cook food with his own poo as fire fuel would have to rank as a fairly lonely existence. I can't imagine you'd get too much people sharing in your yeah. experience as you yeah. as you did that, and to to such little effect though. And Jonah just walks in and says. God's going to blow this place up. <laughs> and there's a complete there's a complete uh, turnaround. But it, the reason why it's relevant to our discussion is we were talking about the church unaccepting certain types of people. And the, the point of the story of Jonah, as I see it, is that Jonah is upset that God's favor would be extended to the Assyrians because they're not part of Israel. Mm. And he was worried from the outset that God might treat them kindly. Mm. So... So what I mean is, we're quite happy for anyone to become Adventists. Um, in fact, that we're happier the closer they are to Adventism when they make the change. So if they like change from Roman Catholic to Adventist, we're pretty happy. If they change from like Baptist to Adventist, then we're super happy. If we convert, if we convert an atheist, well, that's that's sort of what we're meant to do. Um, uh, although we don't seem to do it very much, we do poach a, a little bit from other. Denominations, But um, I'm getting off topic. Uh, this had a point. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so we're happy for them to be- become Adventists. Are we happy with the idea that God might like them and be proud of them and be wanting to help them? As Baptists. You,
2: you, you remind me of a quote, which uh, on a recent podcast episode, I was very quiet for a period, because I was frantically looking for this. It's definitely something C.S. Lewis wrote, and I do not remember where it is, and I could not find it. Um, but he talks exactly about the concept of selflessness, and he makes the analogy, Cam, you, well, any of you, in fact, you might be able to find where this is or know of it, right? Um, he makes the analogy, he says that, you know, true true selflessness, I don't know even if it's the word selflessness, it might be loving others as you love yourself or something like that. But anyway, he said, it, what, what it's like is seeing someone else achieve something and being just as happy about their success as you would be if it was yourself who had achieved it
0: hmm yeah so there's um yes and he talks about ambition and how ambition is not is not sinful in and of itself um and how there are natural and unnatural rewards for something so um the natural reward for being a good general is winning the war the unnatural or the or the battle um the the unnatural reward is to get lots of medals and be paraded through your hometown and that's all that recognition you get is not natural to the actual task itself. And, you know, the natural reward for being a good musician is creating good music. The music itself is rewarding inherently, you know, that any status you get out of that is, is inadvertent. Um, And he, the, the statement you said, Luke comes from an essay where he, where he talks about this. And, and, I think I think it says. Did Lewis says Lewis say um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking. It is thinking of yourself less.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No. In, in fact, yes, it was that. But he also said, um, or was it Lewis or was it Dallas Willard? Um, in any event, humility um, is thinking realistically of yourself. Um, so th- there is. There is no humility in saying when somebody says to you, thank you very much, you did a good job, and you did in fact do a good job, to simply say, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, no. no. You know, there's, there's, that, that, that's not humility. Yeah. Um, that, false, that's false, false self-deprecation. Yeah. yeah, false modesty.
0: Um. Um, C.S. Lewis said at one point, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but it's in one of his essays. He said, if you meet someone who's truly humble, you will not be struck by their humility. You'll probably just think that they're a, they're a really nice person who showed genuine interest in mm. you.
1: Yes.
2: Thank you yeah. for joining us on this week's episode of People Vaguely Remember What C.S. Lewis Wrote. <laughs> 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 join us next week. As we... <laughs> um, but um, anyway, applying his insight to your question, Cam, yes, we should mm. be very happy if the Baptist Church is doing wonderful things for the Lord. We absolutely, we should, we should, anytime we see anybody serving God, we should be as happy about that as
0: if we had done it ourselves. Yeah, but they're not doing it on Saturday, Luke. <laughs> see, we, we do serve God on Saturday. Um, in fact, it's quite possible to serve him on Saturday and largely ignore him for the other six days. So, um, it's quite
2: possible to say you're serving him on Saturday and largely ignore him on that day too.
0: Well, yeah, well, this is this is what it comes down to, isn't it? And and Jonah, for all his being a prophet. And if you read the prayer in Jonah 2, I think it is, when he's in the belly of the whale, the way I was told the story was that Jonah gets swallowed by the whale and then he says he's sorry and then, and then he gets spit on. He doesn't say he's sorry. It's the most arrogant mm-hmm. prayer. The prayer goes something like, God, I'm so glad I'm not a foreigner. I'm so glad I'm not a pagan. I'm so glad that I'm an Israelite who worships you on your holy mountain. I'm so glad of all these things. Everyone in the story does a better job of doing what God says. The sailors, the Assyrians, the whale, (laughs) everything in the story does what God asks straight away except for Jonah. Maybe
2: the story of Jonah is actually about how, you know, even complete dunder hats to pick a broadcastable term, um, can serve God's purpose. Because Jonah's not heroic or admirable in any way. Mm. He's just not.
0: Except in his own opinion.
2: Well, and that makes it worse. I mean, theres yeah. there it is a very unflattering portrayal of him, that story. He does not do or say a single good thing, mm. excepting when he acts to save the ship. Yeah, that's, that's the right. one
1: time. Well, he does go he does go to Nineveh and he does say what is Yeah, but he whinges about you. it before so,
2: and after. Especially after. And he after
0: sits outside waiting for the city to burn.
2: He, he's hugely <laughs> successful in his mission, and then he complains that he didn't get to watch all the Ninevites die in holy fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, there was a thought that this might be a... Uh, a shorter episode that um <laughs> that we I can
2: might... I I'll I'll be I'll be honest with you so... I didn't take that seriously for a second. <laughs> yeah. said that and I just went yeah whatever. <laughs>
0: if it is going to be a shorter episode it's about time we should start. So um so like you uh, we we were issued we were issued with the challenge. Yeah.
3: Well, well, the interesting thing about the challenge is that there's obviously a time lag between when we record these and when we publish them, and that's because we need some time to get the editing done. So those of you who've listened to our last episode will have heard our attempt at coming up with a couple of modern-day proverbs. We kept being thwarted in this activity by the fact that we kept discovering proverbs in the book of proverbs that were pretty relevant to the modern day, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But... How dare wisdom
2: be timeless.
3: We missed a really important point. And <laughs> Carly from Sydney wrote to us before that episode was published with a challenge. And, and her challenge was, um, given there isn't a proverb on the Sabbath directly, which is a, an observation we made two two episodes in a row, basically. If you were to write one using the literary style of proverbs, what would you write? So the thing about this challenge is that it actually has to hit twofold because although we did have a go at writing a a modern proverb in the style of proverbs, um, we also didn't, of all the topics we thought of writing a proverb about, we didn't think of writing one about Sabbath. And that's a little bit remarkable given that rest and Sabbath has been such a central theme. So I think that Carly's challenge is quite a relevant one.
0: One of the... Interesting things about the proverbs which we commented on last week. Anyone who's not listened to that episode should should go and listen to it. But the the proverbs have to be fairly concise, and um, even the Ten Commandments, the, you know, "Thou shalt not steal." That you could tweet that out, couldn't you, in one hundred and sixty characters? But you can't tweet out the you can't tweet out the actual Sabbath mm. commandment. It, it's the longest one, isn't it? In yes, terms it of is. a single mm. commandment, by by a, a, a lot... A long measure. So uh, the challenge is then to sort of break it down to its essence. Mm. There's an element of remembrance. So remembering Egypt or remembering mm. creation. So there's sort of a, a looking... It's something about the Sabbath. I mean, this is my two cents. Uh, something about remembering the formative stories we have and letting that reflect our current practice yeah. or inform our current practice.
2: What well, I wonder if we might ponder for a second before we start it is because i don't think we've discussed this why isn't there a proverb about sabbath mm. do we have any well actually is it this, just taken for granted that it's you know no, we all know the, about it
3: this is a pretty profound point because it's not the only time that sabbath seems to be uh, minimized in a sense i'm i'm intrigued and we've talked about this on previous episodes but i i have always been intrigued by the, the Jerusalem Council in Acts, when, when asking explicitly asking the question, what's the sort of core essential when it comes to the rule set that we want people to abide by to be part of this community? There is zero mention of the Ten Commandments at all. It doesn't even come into it. A good Protestant Christian, if you said, okay, uh, what, what do we want to promote as the most important things? Right, we're going to put aside twenty-eight fundamentals and the apostles' creeds and all of this
0: sort of stuff. What, what's we could get Julie Andrews? We could get Julie Andrews just saying <laughs> favorite, favorite, favorite things. Yeah.
3: Well, I think that a Protestant Advent, a Protestant Christian, and an Adventist um, could could legitimately point to the Ten Commandments as, as saying, "Look here, these things in essence are a pretty good encapsulation, but they don't feature in the Jerusalem Council and the Book of Acts." and it's not just the Sabbath; they don't feature super prominently in proverbs. Um, okay, so there's a lot about anger and angry words and hurting people with lies and with words. So there's a lot about lying in proverbs. There's a lot about angry words and honesty, but there's not a whole lot about refraining from murder.
2: Well, not in a specific sense, but there is in a general sense. There's a lot about violence. True for example, um, and, and there's a, there's a lot about. Um, following the word of God, doing the will of God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm. et and so forth, in a general sense. And, and, and let's
1: face it: if you deal with anger, mm. you've probably come pretty close to
0: dealing with yeah, murder fair, as well. Fair. Well, in Christ's in Christ's assessment, you have in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm, sure. Um, he, he quotes this, but the, the thought came to me: we've commented before in the past about how the um, Old Testament describes large-scale morality. When we in our discussion on covenants, God's covenants with a people, mm. what are the behaviors that the people will exhibit? And and <clears throat> looking at the outside, and we made the comment then that the New Testament seems much more introspective. So instead of looking at the outside behavior and at the behavior of large groups, the New Christ turns it really, and the Apostle Paul focuses really on, on the, st- the struggle happening within the self. And it occurs to me in this discussion that we overlooked the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs does describe a lot about individual people's, you know, he who lusts for gain brings trouble on his own house or something like Mm. that. Is It's a real statement about an individual morality at the sort of level of driving forces and motivations.
3: Mm. Mm. That's a good one. Look, if if it was... My two cents on writing a Sabbath proverb would be to focus on um, this difference between the emphasis on my luxuries, my own blessings. Hey, I get to not, not check work emails on the Sabbath. Aren't I special and lucky? I get to have a nap or I get to go for a bike ride and not feel guilty that I didn't mark a whole bunch of exams. So... I, I hear this, and actually, I think it's not particularly wrong, except that, except in its, in its imbalance. I hear this a lot when Adventists talk about Sabbath. I'm so grateful for this blessing. I'm so glad that I get to have a rest. I'm so glad for the Sabbath because I don't have to feel guilty for all of these things. But
0: we have discussed... We hope that you all get a Sabbath blessing. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. We have discussed at length over the last couple of weeks and in previous episodes how much the Sabbath commandment calls us to focus on passing that blessing on. So if I were to write a proverb about Sabbath, it would be something along those lines. Um, you know, so I don't quite know how to find the words for it. But uh, um, the yeah, Proverbs loves this fool versus the, the wise. Um, a Sabbath focused on your own rest is... <laughs> Is like a, a plane with only one wing. <laughs> it's, I don't know. That's not a very good one. It's, it's imbalanced. Mm. The point I'm trying to get across is that it's it's imbalanced. Yeah. It's not so much that it's wrong because the Sabbath does call us to rest. Um, by hearkening back to the creation narrative in which God rests, there is a sense of of being called into enjoying this blessing. So I'm not wanting to minimize it. I don't want to yeah. quite say the, the full... The fool rests in his own life on Sabbath, but the wise...
2: I know I shouldn't do this, but I can't stop thinking about it since you mentioned planes. Technically, a plane with one wing would be fine if the centre of gravity was at the centre of the lift distribution. (laughs) (laughs) It actually doesn't matter if it's got one wing or a thousand as long as the weight and the lift is all in the right place. Continue. (laughs) Continue. All right well we need to we need to find some other I'm sorry <laughs> I, I I couldn't get it out of my head
0: We need a proverb about aerodynamics that... no okay so what about something like this something like this Locke? if you said um the fool um or a foolish adventist tries to worship God while neglecting the needs of those around mm-hmm. um but yeah but the person who seeks to share a blessing receives the Sabbath blessing is the one who receives the Sabbath blessing. Or does
2: the Lord's will.
1: A phrase that was coming to my mind was, brings rest to others. Ooh,
0: I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Uh, that. Those
2: who bring rest to others bring rest to themselves.
0: Mm. Something like bringing rest to others. Something to express that bringing rest to others is the appropriate way to remember what God has done for us.
1: I like the idea of bringing remembering in there.
0: Mm. Mm.
3: Hmm. I'm just flicking through the Proverbs. Uh, to see if I can catch any inspiration for the literary form,
0: the person who remembers what God's done for them seeks to bring rest to others.
3: I think that's that's strong on its own, but but is does it need to have a counterpoint to balance it out to match the um. I mean, so there's a number of different forms in proverbs, aren't there? And there's some sections uh, we've we've identified these. There's some sections that are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more lengthy than just a sort of couplet, pair of lines. Yeah. So you know, proverbs there's there's extended sections that talk about this sort of personification of wisdom, um, often often as a female form. Um, We we could go down that sort of route, but it's going to be a little bit harder for us to draft. Um, especially given our stated goal of keeping this episode ni- nice and brief, <laughs> so
0: we could borrow one of the starts of proverbs. So, um, so let's let's borrow one of the starts, but change the ends. What's the one about the person who neglects the needy, despises their maker, or something? Uh, we looked at it in a previous episode, and then oh, um, well, that's a that's a good idea. It turned up a couple of times and then and then change the second part of it to be about sabbath so whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker mm. but the person who brings rest to the needy finds the true meaning of sabbath or something you could you could you could just tweak yeah the end because that's that that's the sentiment so um the two proverbs i'm looking at are proverbs 14:31 and proverbs 17:5 uh, one of them begins, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. And the other one says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Whoever exercises privilege over a poor man mm. insults his maker.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> I like that. It's doing a couple of things. The, the, I like the insults his maker bit because what that's doing is tying it back, just like the Sabbath commandment does, to the idea of being created in God's image. Um, so, what
2: what constitutes... True worship mm. and true respect.
3: Yeah, I liked that. So, what was that? Whoever um, exercises privilege
0: over over the vulnerable yeah. insults their Maker, and then we need the but is about the Sabbath. But a Sabbath keeper brings rest to those around them.
1: I like I like the I like the connection between the Maker and the Sabbath and the and Sabbath. It because uh, that does give that sort of creation um, component to the Sabbath I, I was I was just going back to Isaiah 58 um, and and you know either talking about fasting there uh, and and on the day of fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers mm. Um And in your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. But the fasting that I've chosen is to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, uh, share your food with the hungry and provide the wanderer with shelter. Uh, um, So it just struck me that maybe there's not a proverb about it because it's pretty clear in some of the other <laughs> passages of Scripture about exactly what's
0: required. No,
3: it, uh, <laughs> I, I think you're right. It's, it's pretty unambiguous. But I, I like this, and I was just trying to... I was trying to add the word remember, Cam, into that second line of, of, the, of the thing that you were drafting. You know, whoever exercises privilege over the vulnerable... Or power? Yeah.
0: Privilege is what I said, oh, wasn't
3: it? Ah, oh, what about... Whoever relaxes in their privilege
0: Ooh. over the vulnerable. Yes.
3: Because what that's doing <laughs> yeah. is that's pulling yeah. out this idea of a kind of rest, but it's a blind rest because it's, a, it's, it's focusing on my own state rather than being alert to the state of those around me. Yeah. So whoever relaxes in their privilege over the vulnerable insults their maker,
0: but... The Sabbath keeper who brings rest to those around them remembers what God has done for them. Because mm. in Deuteronomy, it's not tied to creation. It's tied to yeah, the Exodus. Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's the aspect of remembering our own deliverance. Yeah.
3: Well, I think that's pretty good. I think it might take us longer than we have to try and redraft that to perfection. But there, there we've, we've, we've come fairly close, I think, to uh, meeting Carly's challenge.
0: So, closing proverb block, um, to find the two that I wanted, because I knew they referred to the maker. I did a just a concordance search for maker in Proverbs, and it came up with three Proverbs, and two of them were the one I wanted. And the third one was Proverbs twenty two two, and it says, The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. You would only have to add in the prefix on yeah, Sabbath. Sounds,
2: I was going to say. And it's a proverb.
0: <laughs> on Sabbath, the rich and poor meet together the lord is the maker of them all
3: there there you are that's a good one as well
2: <laughs> that might be that might be the best one actually i i like its um its snappiness
3: i i find myself yet again oh. frustrated though that we have found the most correct answer so far by just simply opening like, the pages of what's already written in the
2: proverbs <laughs> and adding and adding two words, <laughs> there you go. And but there it is you are. creative
0: because because one of the this is one of the advantages of of something that's wise um, is it's not just it doesn't just display knowledge of a particular human experience, but something a good wisdom literature ought to be applied to many things. So that when you say, well, what about Sabbath, mm. or what about what about politics, or what about? I, I guess it could start to get a little ridiculous if you if you started asking questions like, "What about vintage railway <laughs> steam train restoration or something?" But but you know, it. Hopefully, the, the Proverbs can address. Although, as we pointed out, it doesn't address the Sabbath directly by name. But perhaps perhaps some of the the ideas we've come up with show that that even though. The word Sabbath isn't used. I think, I mean, we definitely had our greatest success when we actually started borrowing not just ideas, but particular mm. phrases from the Proverbs because they turned out, they turned out to be very versatile. Uh, well, thank you very much, Carly, for sending in that challenge. We do enjoy it very much when our listeners email us, and anyone can at the address Home at gmail.com. And we look forward to any comments that you, you send in. Feel free, as always, to share this podcast with your friends or your enemies and uh, anyone who you feel might benefit from it. And uh, please join us again as we have our discussion next week, which I think next week is not the last, is it? Next it is the, it is, is. is the last. Next week's the last one on Proverbs. Next week will be the
3: last one in this uh, quarter, in
0: this that series.
2: fast. I remember we were having yeah. this discussion. Can we do an entire quarter on Proverbs? Is there enough? there, will it get boring, etc. Blah, blah,
0: blah. Well we've barely it scratched. Seems, it book. seems that there is. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed our discussion and, and please join us next time.